0: Those are two great songs aren 't they? Um, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to go to second corinthians chapter twelve we 're going to be in a couple of different places uh, in the scriptures today as we go through this series on pandemic emotions or discussing them and we 've talked about frustration we 've talked about fear. One of what I want to talk about today is hope or some people may even call it joy so what we 're going to do is we 're going to uh, in a minute we 'll get to second corinthians twelve we 'll be in second corinthians one then we 'll be in revelation twenty one as well. Uh, so you might want to get some of those passages ready to go. You know, there's a story that's told of, of two prisoners. They both enter prison at the same time. And they're in the same circumstances, relatively about the same age, uh, same health. And uh, But uh, as they started living out their sentence, we saw that uh, one of them uh, received word that his family was waiting for him. They wrote him a letter, said, we will wait as long as it takes until you get out, and we love you. The other prisoner got word saying that his family had died. In the course of it, as they lived out their sentence, one prisoner died very quickly, and the other one made it to the end of his sentence. So who do you suppose made it to the end of the sentence? Well, of course, it was the one whose family was still alive. And why was that? Well, it was because he had hope. He had hope of seeing the people he loved at the end of his sentence. Now, I don't know if that story is true or not. It's something I've heard and read in different books and illustrations uh, many different times. But it, it proves the point, or at least it, it, it attempts to prove the point that hope is very, very powerful. That's what I want to talk about today is this idea of hope. And, you know, There's a couple places in Scripture that tell us to have hope or joy even in difficult circumstances. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, Paul was writing from a prison cell when he wrote that. And he says, Rejoice in everything. I will I say it again. Rejoice. We also think in James chapter 1, James, he said this, Counter all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various, when you meet trials of various kinds. That seems counterintuitive. It seems odd. It seems maybe even uh, unhealthy at times when this world would say that. But the reality is it's not unhealthy at all. The reality is is that we're not saying to minimize the trial. We're not saying to ignore it. We're not trying to say that we're going to say that pain is an illusion. That's not what we're saying at all, as other people may say. Where pain is real. Life's difficulty is real, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But the Bible doesn't tell us to ignore the pain It just says to understand it and to embrace it and understand that there's something greater going on. And so today what I'd like to talk about for a few minutes is this, the Christian should experience hope and joy during this pandemic. The Christian should experience hope and joy during this pandemic. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be constant. I'm not going to say that there's never going to be any other type of emotion that you feel because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about competing emotions at times. But I will say this is that this should be an overarching emotion or feeling or experience that a Christian should have during this pandemic, and that's hope and joy. Now, why? why? How can I say that? Or based on what should I say? Let me give you two reasons today. There could be many more. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination, but let me just give you two reasons why I believe that every Christian should experience hope and joy during this pandemic. The first is this, is that God does not waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. There's nothing that God does or nothing that happens in this world where it is a wasted opportunity. You and I have wasted opportunities all the time. You and I look back on life and we say, man, I wish I would have capitalized on that. Or I knew about this and I didn't take advantage of that. But see, that never happens with God. There's never an investment that goes by God and he says, ah, that was a good one. You know, I look back on investments and back in the day, and you know, when Amazon was first coming on, it would have probably been a smart move to invest in Amazon, right? Um, I think this internet thing is here to stay. I'm just guessing. Um, But the point is, is that we we don't have all this knowledge and we let good things go by all the time and we miss opportunities or we waste them. Um, That's not true with God. I've asked you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let me just read this text to you. This is uh, when Paul... It's a very famous text of scripture where Paul is talking about a, um, uh, a vision that he has, and so he says this. He says, um, in verse 3, he says, I, I, I know that this man was caught up in paradise, and he's talking about himself. He says, whether in, in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. He says, therefore, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Okay, well, this seems kind of confusing what's happening here. He's basically saying this great spiritual experience happened to him where he was caught up in a vision in the presence of Jesus. And he's trying to be careful with it because he knows that if he talks about it too much, almost in a braggadocious way, that people are going to revere him more highly than he should. And so he's saying, I don't want to brag about this. He says, but I do want to talk about it. I want to tell you how good it is. So that's what's happening here. So in verse seven, he says this, so to keep me from being too elated, By the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And so we see that, that, that there's a situation here where Paul was saying there was a negative situation that was happening to him, and he was asking God. He asked Jesus three times for it to be removed from him. It was, it was a trial of some sort we don't know what it was. Some people think it was his poor vision. Some people think it was a loss of a loved one. Some people think it was some other physical distraction. Some people think that it may have been just his brokenness over people. We don't know what it was, but the reality of it is is that there was something that was going on in Paul's life that he. Asked God three times for it to be removed and the answer was no. And the reason he he gives the reason here he says that God was using this difficult circumstance for a specific purpose. I don't know if you caught that in the beginning but it's this idea of accelerating spiritual growth. You see, God uses difficult circumstances to accelerate our spiritual growth sometimes. Did you see that in verse seven, he says, to keep me from being too elated. He's talking about his personal relationship with Christ. And he talks about how that he's, he's now content because he is finding strength in Christ because God's grace is sufficient. And so God uses difficult circumstances to accelerate spiritual growth. And so this pandemic, when we're in it, when we're dealing with things that we do not like, this should be, we should recognize, the Christians should recognize that even if we disagree, God is using this for our good. And so how does he do that? There's a couple of things I've mentioned. The first one, verse seven, is this idea of restraining us from sinning. This idea of that, that our spiritual growth is accelerated because God uses difficulties in our life, often to restrain us from sinning. Now, I'm not saying every difficult circumstance in life is used by God for this. I'm saying this is just an example of how God often does this. And then you say, well, wait a minute here. You know, I still sin, so this must not be true. You know, I still sin, and I'm going through life's difficulties, and so God is, if he's restraining me from this, then it's not making sense because I still sin. Well, no, it is still true because, and this is what You don't want to recognize, and this is the the, the hard truth that you probably don't want to wrestle with, is that imagine how much worse you would be sinning if God wasn't restraining you. See, there's the reality. The reality is, is that we are far worse than we can imagine. In our heart, we are capable of far worse than what we could imagine. But thankfully, that's not the entire situation. It's not just about restraining us from sin, but there's another element of this accelerated spiritual growth in this text that we see. And this is this idea of that we get reacquainted with God's power and his grace. I don't know if you saw that there when he says that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness in verse 9. He says, this is the reason Jesus was telling Paul. He says, I'm not going to remove this difficult circumstance from you. I'm not going to remove this painful reality that is plaguing you right now because you need to be reacquainted with my power and my grace because then you're going to see, you're going to see that, that it is, that my grace is going to be sufficient for you. And so Paul understood that. That's why then he says, for the sake of Christ, I'm content. Verse 10 with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I don't know if you, I have a hard time saying that. I have a hard time saying, you know, for the sake of Christ, Jeremy, I would be content with weakness. I'll be content with insults. I'll be content with hardships. You know, I'll be content with persecutions and calamities From when, when I am weak then I am strong. I have a hard time saying that because I don't want discomfort in my life. I don't want pain. I don't want suffering. But we need to recognize here that there's hope and there's joy in the midst of difficult circumstances because God uses it for our spiritual growth. First, He restrains us from sin, and then He this idea of reacquainting us with grace and power that we wouldn't see otherwise. I told you a minute ago that the reality is that you are far worse than you can imagine. And that's not something I enjoy saying, and I know that Some people are probably chafing at that a little bit right now, but it's true. And it's true about me, that I am far worse in my soul, and my heart, than I I, I care to, to even think about. I know what is in my heart and the sin that lies within me. Paul talked about that in Romans. Did he not? He says, the things that I want to do, those are the things I'm doing The things that I'm doing, those aren't the things I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this present death? Paul struggled with that too. He recognized this sinful condition that we all struggle with. But you see, it's not just that we're far worse. It's the fact that the gospel is of a greater hope than we could possibly imagine. You see, that's what makes God's power so good. That's what makes his grace so awesome and and, uh, and so astounding to us is that when we realize that we truly are sinners and we truly are deserving of judgment, but God's grace is given to us and God's, God's mercy is available to us and his power is given to us. He says, you don't have to stay in these sins. You can consider yourself dead to sin. This is Romans chapter six. In Christ, you can consider yourselves dead to sin because of what Christ has done on the cross for you. And so while it is true that we are worse than we could possibly imagine, it is also true that the gospel is greater than we could possibly ever hope for. And that should should give us joy in the midst of these difficult circumstances because God uses these difficult circumstances for our good and our spiritual growth. Romans chapter 5 talks about this when Paul says, Not only that, he says, But we rejoice in our sufferings. Here's this weird Christian thing about rejoicing in sufferings again. But he gives the reason why. He says, Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. He says this is all part of a cycle of growing closer to Christ. Because earlier in the text here in chapter, in verse 2 of this text, I didn't put it on the screen, but it starts with the idea of hope. And then it talks about suffering, then it talks about endurance, and then it produces character, and then character then produces even greater hope. And so it's like this spiral that just keeps going, and we keep growing closer and closer to the Lord. This is what God has used. He ordains to use for our good so that we grow spiritually. And so this is one of the concerns I have about my own soul and my own heart, is that I am like many other people around me, and that is I try to do everything I can to make my life as comfortable as possible. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not arguing that we need to uh, beat ourselves or, or, or go, uh, you know, uh, get rid of any comfort in our life. That's not what I'm arguing for. But what I am arguing for is what I'm a little concerned about is I know in my own heart and I know in the lives of people around me is that we love comfort so much that we don't. We're not ready to embrace suffering like we should be. And so this pandemic, the hope and joy comes from when we see the difficult circumstance that we find ourselves in. We don't minimize it. We don't ignore it. We don't pretend it's not there. We, we embrace it, and we call it what it is, and we realize the truthfulness of it, but we see that it's part of God's plan to cause us to grow. It's not just in Romans chapter 5. I quoted James 1 earlier. Let me continue uh, quoting beyond what I did earlier. In verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, that's what James goes on to say. He doesn't just say, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials because we need to be sadists. He says, no, you need to understand that there's a greater purpose for us. That God does not waste anything. He doesn't waste life circumstances. And he's using it for our good. And he's using it to accelerate our spiritual growth. But not only is he using it to accelerate our spiritual growth, but there's another way. And I want you to go to, to chapter one of 2 Corinthians. So go back in your Bible to the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians. And we'll talk about this for just a minute here. So it's not just about our accelerating spiritual growth, but it has also the idea of that he uses difficult circumstances to expand our ministry opportunities, okay? So he causes us to grow through it, but then he gives us greater opportunities to serve him in life's difficulties. How do I see that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see this in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that, so here's the reason God gives us comfort, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, Paul says. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is for we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. So he goes on to talk about that this wasn't just some light thing that he was enduring here. He says, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And so we see in this text here that God uses difficult circumstances to really enhance our ministry and give us uh, expanded ministry opportunities. How do I see that? First is so that we can relay comfort. We see that in verses three through seven, we see that there's this idea of that we get comfort from God because His grace is sufficient for us. And so what we're supposed to do with that then is when we see other people going through difficult circumstances, we comfort them. And so we go through difficult trials and difficult circumstances so that we can be a blessing to others and we can help others through that. So this is one of the reasons this God is not wasting a difficult circumstance because this is part of, is supposed to inform not just our own spiritual growth, but is supposed to inform our spiritual ministry to other people that we relay God's comfort. And not only just relaying God's comfort, but we also see it's that we are to rely on God. You say, well, how is that expanding our ministry opportunity? Well, here's the reason why reliance on God is expanding our ministry opportunity is because the only beneficial ministry that you and I will ever participate in is the ones at which we're relying on God. And it's in prayer is the key there, we see in verse 11. And so we see this. We see that, that first thing, we know that God doesn't waste anything. It's for our spiritual growth, but it's also for our spiritual ministry. And this idea of relaying comfort to each other, we see this in 2 Corinthians 1, that we can minister to other people. It's also so that we can then uh, 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 show that we are relying on God so that then the ministry that we actually participate in has eternal effect and eternal good because it's relying on God. We see this in verse number nine of this text. So we need to find hope that God does not waste anything. He doesn't waste anything. And, and while what seems awful to us is often used for our good, and that's the key for the Christian. That's the hope for the Christian during this. You know, Paul also wrote, he said, Romans chapter 8, he says, all things Work together for good for those who love God, for those who, for those who are called according to his purpose. That Romans chapter 8 promise is not given to everyone indiscriminately. There's a qualifier right in the verse. It says all things work together for good, not for everybody, but for those who love God. That's the reason why I said earlier that the Christian should find great hope and joy during this pandemic. Now, I'm not saying that other people who don't believe in Jesus can't have hope or can't have joy. I'm not saying that, but it's a unique hope and a unique joy that surpasses and transcends every life difficulty that is offered to believers. And this is the reason why we need to put our, our belief in Jesus Christ and our allegiance to him. And I don't know everyone who's watching here today, but let me encourage you that if, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. If, if, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you've thought you were a Christian because you were born into a family that went to church, but you don't have this relationship with God, there's not this closeness to Jesus, there's not this idea of I'm using my life to serve Him and my life is about Him. If that's not true in your life, then you need to go back and look at your relationship with Christ. Paul says in uh, Corinthians, he says, you need to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Jesus says, he says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit in John, in the gospel of John. So let me encourage you that if you're watching this broadcast today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me tell you that when you believe in Jesus and you give your life to follow him, you will find a hope and a joy that you didn't know existed. Now, I'm not going to say that you won't struggle again. I'm not going to say that every Christian now uh, will never struggle with hope or joy or discouragement. We prayed about discouragement earlier. Christians still fight against it, but there is an underlying and overarching hope that is available to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, if you're watching and you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's interesting to you, send me an email. Jeremy at nbcverona.org. I would be more than happy to talk to you on the phone and, and, uh, and walk through the scriptures with you and answer your questions about that. The Christian should find great hope and great joy during this pandemic because God doesn't waste anything. But I wanted to share one other reason why we should find hope and joy real quickly here in the last few minutes we have together. I said that he doesn't waste anything, but secondly, the reason for hope and joy is because God has already told us the end of the story. It's already there. We know what's going to happen. Turning your Bibles to uh, Revelation 21, last book of the Bible, to almost the very last chapter, second to the last chapter, Revelation 21. I want to share just a couple verses with you if I could. While you're turning there, um, let me share this with you. Is we, uh, I have a daughter who's nine years old, and so that means that I have watched my share of Cinderella type movies in my life so far. I've watched a lot of them, and it seems like that there's a common theme with a lot of Disney movies, and they follow the same type of thing. But, you know, we recently watched a a version of Cinderella, and it was interesting to me as we were watching that uh, uh, when I saw the scenes of her being mistreated by her stepsisters, you know, my heart kind of goes out to her. The, the abuse that she takes and how they make fun of her. And then the scene where she, she has the dress ready to go to the ball and they rip the dress. And they're so cruel to her and the stepmother. I remember the one of the first times Mia, my daughter, and I watched that one of these type of Cinderella movies together. I remember as we were watching it, you know, I was watching those scenes differently than she was. I remember as that was happening, she was like, that's not nice, Dad. Why are they doing that, Dad? And I remember saying something to the effect of, just wait, sweetie. It'll be okay. Just wait. Now, it didn't affect me the same way it affected her. And the reason why is because I knew the end of the story. I knew what was coming. And so I just said, it's okay, sweetie. It's okay. Just wait. You know, my daughter is, now she's seen these type of movies several times. And so she's the same way. We're still moved by the abuse But we know the end of the story, and that makes all the difference in the world. I asked you to go to Revelation 21. Let me give you the context of Revelation. Paul, excuse me, John, John, the Apostle John, he's in exile. He's on an island called Patmos. And he receives a revelation from the Lord, and he starts writing it down. He's told to write these things down. And Revelation is a, is a difficult book in a lot of ways, but we do know that it was uh, a revelation given to encourage Christians because you have to understand what was happening. And regardless of how you're going to interpret the book of Revelation, you need to understand the context. And you can argue about all the different things of what this uh, symbolizes and that and all this stuff. Those are great debates for you to have. My only, my only request is that you just remember what the context of the book was. You see, there was a a Roman emperor during this time, Domitian, and he was uh, someone who was uh, ruthless towards uh, people in general, but then particularly Christians. And so it was under his rule that failure to honor the emperor as a god became a political offense and punishable. They'd always wanted the emperors to be regarded as deity. That had been around in Roman uh, rule for a long time. But it wasn't always enforced or punishable in a, in a corporate, widespread way uh, across the Roman Empire. There was localized places where that was done. Of course, we know the persecution of Jesus and things like that. But in, across the entire Roman Empire, uh, Empire, there was not this widespread enforcement of this until Domitian comes onto the scene. And he becomes pretty ruthless in, in uh in making sure that people follow him. There's a guy by the name of Eusebius who's known as the father of church history. Uh, He was a Christian who lived, you can see in the third century, uh, third, fourth century. And you can see how that he was a man uh, uh, as that what he would do is he would write down what was happening and he was, as I said before, is known as the father of church history. This is what he said. With terrible cruelty, Domitian put to death without trial great numbers of men at Rome who were at Rome who were distinguished by family and career and without cause banished many other notables and confiscated their property finally he showed himself nero's successor in hostility to god he was the second to organize a persecution against us and so Nero was on the scene, then Vespian, and uh, was ruled after him who didn't really do a widespread persecution of, of Christianity, uh, did some, but not a widespread one. But it was his son, one of his sons, Domitian, who then took it up a notch and took it even beyond what Nero did. And one of the things he did is like his own niece, he exiled out of the country because his niece professed Christ. John was exiled to Patmos during this reign. This is what's happening. And so there was a lot of people who were being killed. There's a lot of people being exiled. Their things, their property, their livelihood was taken away from them uh, because of this Roman emperor and his attack on Christianity. That is what was going on. And that is what the reason, one of the reasons why revelation was given. Because here we have Jesus. He ascends to him. He says, I'm coming back in the same way that I departed. The angel said it about him when he ascended. We have the promise. Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, I will never leave you, forsake you. Jesus says in, the, in, in John, he says, in the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. These are all promises that were given to the disciples, to the apostles. And as years went on, as years went by, we have a couple decades going on. And then we see that this persecution is ramping up and getting worse and worse and worse. No doubt the disciples, no doubt the people who are following Jesus, were starting to wonder, when is this going to happen? When are you coming back? When are you setting all things right? You said you have overcome the world. The world is getting worse and we're losing more and more. When when are you coming back? That was the question. Why are we going through this difficulty? That, will, that is what was plaguing their soul. That's why their book of Revelation was written. To show that don't worry, it will get worse, but, it will get, it, but we win. Jesus is going to come back and set all things right. You see, Revelation 21, it says this in verse uh, 3. Um, It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. If you want to get a picture of who John was writing to, it's verse 4. These were people who were, had tears in their eyes. These were people who were, who were concerned about death. These were people that were mourning and crying and were in pain. This is the group of people that John was writing to. And the promise from Jesus is, I'm gonna come back, I'm gonna set all things right, and it will be no more. You see, that's the reason why we have hope is because Jesus is coming back and he's going to set all things right. And when that day is, I don't know, but it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a hundred years. I don't know when it is, but I know that it gives me hope for this day because this is not all there is. If this life were all there is that I had to look forward to, I would be miserable. If, If this life were the best it's going to get, you know, some people say, oh, man, when I was young, those were the best years. That was the best of life. And, and, and maybe that was true for this life, but it's not the best. We have such a greater life ahead of us that we are looking forward to. And as he says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, and neither will be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, and the former things have passed away. So when we get to heaven, here's what we have to look forward to. There will be no more funeral homes. There will be no hospitals. There will be no abortion clinics, no divorce courts. There will be no brothels, no bankruptcy, no... Uh, psychiatric wards, no treatment centers. There's not going to be any pornography or teen suicide or cancer. There's not going to be rape or missing children or drug problems. There's not going to be drive-by shootings or racial tension and no prejudice. There'll be no misunderstandings. There'll be no injustice. There'll be no depression. There won't be any hurtful words or gossip or hurt feelings. There won't be any worry or emptiness or child abuse. There'll be no wars or financial worries or emotional heartaches or physical pain or spiritual flatness. There won't be relational divisions or murderers, and there won't be any tears. There will be no sufferings and no separations and starvation or arguments or accidents. There won't be emergency rooms. There won't be any doctors or nurses. There won't be heart monitors or rust. There won't be false teachers or financial shortages. There'll be no hurricanes. There'll be no bad habits. There'll be no decay, and there won't be any locks under the doors. That's what we have to look forward to. Jesus is coming back and he's going to set all things right. And so I have hope during this pandemic because I know this isn't it. This is just a prelude of what is to come. Jesus is coming back and all this will be away and we won't have to deal with this any longer. And so I can have hope today because I know he is coming back. You see, God doesn't waste anything. God, he uses everything for our good and his glory. And he's told us how this ends so therefore, we can have hope. Let me give you some homework that you can work on, give you some homework as if there's any other type of work right now, right? Okay, here's some things that I suggest that you do this week. Find three instances, instances in the Bible where God used bad circumstances for good, or for the good of those people. Number two, recall three instances in your life where God used bad circumstances for your good. So the first is look for three instances in the Bible where you see how God took something bad and they benefited from it or was used for good. Then make it personal. Go back into your life and try to think of three times, at least three times, where God took a difficult circumstances at the time. You thought, "Ah, I don't know if I'm going to get through to this. I don't know why this is happening or this is really bad. And see how then it was made clear God used it for good. And then finally, compare and contrast this life with what you expect in the next life. Take some time to to do what I just did there. Talk about how there's not going to be this and there is going to be that. And then worship God and may that give you hope that this life is not all there is. So let me encourage you, if you don't know about how you can have eternal life? It's simply by repenting of your sins, asking God to forgive you. That's what it means to turn and to change, and ask God to forgive you your sins and to follow Him. If you have questions about that, again, email me. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. And for the rest of us, let's have great hope today, because God never wastes anything, and He's told us how the story ends. Well, until we can meet again, may this message from God's Word may it be an encouragement to you. And may it be a, 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 a way to help you look forward and beyond uh, our current circumstances. I think of what Numbers says. It says, now may the Lord be gracious to you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Have a wonderful week.